It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 507 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Joining me on Accelerate today is Mitch Mirando. He's the founder and CEO of Whaler. That's spelled W-H-A-L-R, no E there. Whaler specializes in helping sales teams identify what it calls product-qualified leads. So PQLs are a different take on new business development with enterprise buyers. So I'm anxious to learn what it's all about. So let's jump into it. Mitch Miranda, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. I have to start off with a quick story. Oh, by all means, start with a story. <laughs> because this, this literally happened to me yesterday, so it's top of mind. Uh, and, I, and I love when, this, uh, when these things sort of happen. Um, but I, I was... Um, the challenger sale was used on me by a taxi driver yesterday, <laughs> which was incredible. Now, wait, wait. He, what was the taxi driver selling? Yeah, so I, I'm, you know, I'm on my way home. We have this this rule in the family: I've got to be home by seven o'clock, right? Or I sleep on the couch because it's dinner time. Can't can't miss dinner. Okay, excellent. So, um, you know, I've, uh, a cab just happened to be in front of me. So instead of grabbing an Uber or Lyft, I, you know, I kind of happened to hop in this cab, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going up to this part of town. I've done it, you know hundreds of times. And I said, just take Pine Street, go straight on up. And he goes, no, that's not the right way to go right now. He goes, this time of day, you're going to get the Powell Street cable car. It's going to back everything. He was like, that's not the best way. We got to go over here, go down Chinatown, go Broadway Tunnel. He's like, much faster. And I go, no, I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm like, this, just go Pine Street. Like, save me the, save me the argument. Right. He's like, no, I, I'm not going to go that way. The cable car is going to screw up everything. And I go, will you just please go up Pine Street? He goes, no, I'm not going to go that way. Um, uh, you need to get out of my cab. I go, really? Like, you feel that strongly about it? And he's like, yes. I go, okay, well, how about this? I, it, I know it typically takes me about, you know, 13, 14 minutes to get home. So let's time it. And we're going to take your way. And so he goes, sure enough. He's like, Phoom. he t- takes his way, goes down Broadway Tunnel. Uh, I, I, I found a new way through the city, which, uh, which was interesting. And, uh, and lo and behold, we got there at about the same time, 14, but there was much less traffic right. at that particular time of day. And I was so ecstatic, right? Like that, um, that he'd use a challenger sale on me. The guy had been driving a cab in the city for a lot of years. And, you know, the cab fare was whatever, 10, 12 bucks. And I, I just gave him a 50. I was like, that was so awesome because A, you taught me something. And B, you uh, you stuck to your guns, and you know you you are a taxi driver that knows the city very well. So uh, uh, thank thank you for teaching me uh, something new, and um, and and keep the change. So that was my challenger sale from a taxi driver. It was incredible. The man knew how to it. the man knew how to drive. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, he knew the city, he knew the subject matter, he actually knew you as a customer more than you thought he did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. And as you said, as a bonus, you learned a new way through the city. I, though I would surprise you didn't know about the Broadway Tunnel. And, well, at that particular point in time, right? Like I do, and yeah, I, I do get stuck on Pine Street from the cable car occasionally. Yeah. But he's like, this particular point in time, nope, the way, nope. So <laughs> it was great. <laughs> which is interesting. We compare that to the typical Uber Lyft experience, which is, yeah, it's just in the in their app and they're just following the GPS. Yo, it's they're not, almost blindly, right? It's, yeah, it's not, not, ex, not exercising any sort of initiative whatsoever. So, yeah. Yeah, right. and which, the dot stops there. So I've just stopped on the dot. <laughs> like, you need to pull over because you're blocking traffic. And I always call them and say, I'm going to walk up, you know, a block and I'll meet you at that corner because there's less traffic or whatever. And I'm surprised... The, the, the companies don't actually teach the passengers a, a little bit more about 
walking, you know, half a block will actually save you probably a heck of a lot of time than trying to uh, stay on the dot. But yeah, yeah, for another time, (laughs) another time. All right. So opening question for you is sort of standard question. Ask a lot of my guests is so in your mind today, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps? Single uh, biggest challenge always, I'd say, is training, right? I think um, by far, the more the reps that I that I come into um, into contact with, they just haven't been taught properly, like the fundamentals first and foremost. And um, certainly today, I mean, I I'm in the technology sales enablement business, and still I think no amount of technology is ever going to replace like the fundamentals of just being trained, you know, in in good sales technique and the professionalism of sales. I think there's there's well, a lot of alarming trends that are making that are really making the the sales profession. I think. Um, um, exceptionally diluted right now. So, so what are uh, these alarming trends? I'd say one in particular that um, that really alarms me is the emphasis around this SDR function, right? The sales development rep, uh, business development rep, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, uh, the trend that this is in essence a career, right? And really, in 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 sort of my my view of the world, there's two things in a business: you build stuff, so software, so you ship code, and then the other side of the fence, you ship revenue, right? So you really you should your the whole company is aligned with one of those two two key functions, right? Right. In the sales profession, shipping code or shipping revenue is you know selling, it's closing, right? It's being able to to learn how to do all those things that that, um, uh, that you and I, you and I have learned over the years, and I think the BDR as a profession is that you're basically learning the first part of in your sales career. Yeah, you got to learn how to prospect and start conversations and do all those good things, but you never learn the part to actually close, right? Uh, and I've, I've had this conversation probably four or five times over the last month or so, and I really feel bad for these these young salespeople because, you know, they're one, two, one year into their SDR training, and then their boss or manager says, hey, you've got two options. You can either go A, into the closing role, Ooh, kind of scary. You have to have a commission. No, never done that before. Or B, you can become a BDR manager. And of course, you know, you're taking advantage of a, of a young professional where they can go back to their friends and their families. Hey, I'm a manager now, right? Like how that's really tempting to not be, be really accept that, that kind of direction. Right. And you're a step further from the ultimate goal, which is closing to really understand whether you want to be a, a, a sales professional. So you know, the conversation I've had are there two, three, four years into the SDR manager never closed before. And now they say, I really want to get into sales now, Mitch. And I tell them, you're, you are, you unfortunately, a, a real disservice has been done to you. And in order to get into sales, you're going to have to go back to ground zero. And you're going to, and I would recommend you just get into any role that you can where you are selling anything. I don't care if it's books, pots, tour guide, what is, well, anything, just get into the function of actually closing small little deals. Doesn't matter whatever it is, because until you actually start closing, um, you are not actually doing the sales, uh, you're not doing the sales role. So SDR to me is SDR is a career, I guess is, is the thing that's most alarming to me. But, um, well, and I mean, I want to explore that a little bit because yeah, I think part of the disservice we do too is, is, and sort of following what you're talking about is we define these things so poorly, right? So you talk about the closer role. I mean, to me, I hate that that description because first of all, you know, how often have you been in the room when the customer makes a decision? Right. 
So this idea, when you say a closer, what people automatically think is we're getting something that's going to go in and they're closing the deal, right? In the stereotypical sense, yep. which, you know, is not what happens. Right. And really what that role is, that's a discovery role. That's a, you know, it's a understanding the customer role. It's putting together the right solution role. And if you do that appropriately, the customer is going to buy from you. Mm-hmm. And closing has nothing to do with it. Exactly. And, and so it seems like we have to serve. Sort of, you had a very clear distinction, right? We do two things in a company. We develop code, we ship code, you know, software. You can say in sales, you only have two things really that a company does that acquires customers and retains them. Is how, mm-hmm. do we, how do we fit those roles into that, that, those functions, right? And I agree with you. I mean, I think we're doing a huge disservice to a, a broad swath of, of people that are new to the sales profession because just for things you talked about is we say either, yeah, we're going to make you a manager or the third option is, you know, if you're lucky, you might become a quote-unquote account manager in customer success, which is still considered uh, a lower form of life in, in some of the sales organizations compared to the account execs or closers, which is also nuts, because they're the ones generating the majority of the revenue. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> it is, you know, and I think again, it's down to the sales leaders also that are um, uh, that are promoting this. Um, where really now, what I've seen be very effective because uh, you, you also have this this um, snowball effect where you have people who've never closed before coaching young new talent in right. the sales profession, but they don't actually know what it is to do sales, right? Right. Um, but they have the so, data. Yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, again, you're now you're perpetuating the problem. But where I have seen it be very effective is if you get into that, that SDR role, right, you really shouldn't be in that role for six months, maybe a year, maybe at the, at, uh, if you're not. Uh, and we can talk about some ways that you can you can get out of that role. But, um, you know, if you go into sales and then, yeah, if you're going to you try closing, you figure out whether you really like it, whether you excel at it, you go do that for a year and then you come back in and you coach SDRs. That's OK. Because again, I've seen that be very effective. Because you're you're coaching you're you're also trying to identify early talent to right. accelerate people into uh, right. into the AE role or coach them in the right way that they can learn you know the the skill set and where they need to excel to ultimately get into the into the AE role. Um, so you know, I uh, but the the idea of SDR as a uh, as a career path is to me just absurd. And um, and it's down to the sales leaders. You get uh, the folks need to really understand that it's a progression into ultimately the the role of being a sales professional. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that in some ways it mirrors a little bit what happened back in the let's say the '80s when you know IBM and Xerox and all the other big companies were every year would go out and hire thousands of fresh college grads. Put them into these "quote unquote" you know marketing management or sales management training programs with the idea that they were going to wash out, right? Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. of them over the course of the next two years, and what we left is the people that they want to keep. And it seems like this is just a new version of that, right? Right. Yeah. Or the the, the people that ne- didn't necessarily fit their model of what they think a salesperson should be, right? Yeah. And I think that's the other big uh, um, big disservice is around. There are lots of different styles of being a very good sales professional, right? I mean, I have my own biases. I have a technical background. I, I tend to uh, to hire and like people who who have mathy, more technical backgrounds, because yep. I think in technology, they, they tend to be more curious and they tend to just want to know why things happen. Like, oh, customer just bought from me. Why? Exactly. I got to go ask them. I don't know. I'm just going to go ask. So I have my own biases, but uh, there are, I've seen, I also have hired and worked with lots of people that have non-technical backgrounds. So I think there, there, there are so many different ways to be successful in sales. There is no just 
uh, right way to do it. And I think that's also part of, um, uh, you know, you have a, a core, obviously some core um, fundamental uh, traits, but I love getting people that other teams do not like, I, I tend to like those folks. I don't know. <laughs> I, I do have friends that are building particular type of sales teams. And if I come across them, I'm like, oh, you need to go talk to Jim or Jane, right? Like you'll fit in right there. And I go, Jim or Jane, anyone that doesn't really fit your stereotypical, I'm like, send them my way. I'm like, I, I tend to find that those, I don't know, misfits or those people that just don't, uh, don't do the typical sales approach, um, uh, in my view are, uh, uh, can be exceptional, can be, can be really, um, uh, uh, can be really good, but well, so I think, you can do it. Right. But I think one of the reasons that's the case, and this is, this is you know, becoming a, a more of a theme on this, this particular show is meaning accelerate is that, yeah, we've, so we have these very tightly defined roles increasingly in sales and certainly, you know, in the tech tech sales world. And, you know, part of the reason then we sit there and wonder why some people don't perform well, given so how narrowly we circumscribe their their responsibilities and what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be doing it. Mm-hmm. That yeah, the the power of the individual gets lost, right? The power of the individual to sort of do things their way, because it's like always like, well, it's got to be this way, and it's like, well, mm-hmm. okay, that's that way. You've got one sample set, and believe me, you may be growing quickly, but you know. The bulk of your salespeople are still still not cutting it. Right. Why why is that the right way? Why not why not give people some more latitude so they can develop their individual strengths? And so you have this opportunity, as you said, the people you consider sort of the misfits. I'm with you. I always wanted to hire the misfits mm-hmm. because you bring me somebody with a stereotypical sales background and and they just never did it for me. And I think it. Yeah, I, you always in your entire sales career, the best people I've always seen, they're, they're always coachable kind of at any stage. I, mean, I'm, I, I love learning from somebody else who's very good at sales and learning new ways or new techniques or new ways that, that you might be able to approach um, uh, a particular uh, uh, sales opportunity. So I think those. So isn't that one of the real, to me, that's one of the real risks I see in a lot of the, the sales models that I, people are employing these days is that it's like just too rigid. Right, and there's no freedom mm-hmm. for the for the individual to really ex- sort of be themselves. Yes, and or they're develop their style. Right, develop their style. Like, All right, that's yes, a better way of putting yes. it. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you still have to be, you know, right? I mean, you, you know, this obviously is you still, it's a sales profession, very regimented. It's very process driven. You still have to like, you know, it's grinded out and you still have to do a lot of these things, but you're right. There should be a lot of latitude in sort of how you get there and an openness to, to experiment because everyone will have a, a style that they develop ultimately on, on their own that they find work works very well for them. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was new in sales, I certainly did not fit the mold at all. In fact, my first boss that hired me was <laughs> extremely clear about the fact that that he had never hired anybody like me before and <laughs> wasn't really sure that he should have hired me but you know I had a an interesting interview experience so um okay great but yeah it turned out well right because he took a risk oh yeah right yeah. and i think that's that is the also separates great managers and great uh, um heads of sales that can identify talent Right. It's the same on the engineering side of the fence, but there are you can, um, of course, there are some particular traits you look for, but there are um, being able to identify that talent and then coach the talent. Right. And I don't know, I I have, you know, the the A players are always going to be the A players and they'll kind of do their thing. But can you as a sales leader, can you really can you get the most out of your can you get your C players up to be B players? Right. 
um, that's where you can make the biggest impact. And a lot of that is in just coaching and coaching to the style, right? You can't coach everybody the same way. You got to coach to the style and to the strengths of that particular person. So I think just that comes down to good sales leadership and uh, good sales management where, um, you run into those types of people and they, they can, um, they are, uh, the real difference makers in how uh, effective a sales team can be. Well, and I think that you identified sort of a missing piece because you know increasingly we're seeing apps and technologies come up a lot of the AI driven things saying, okay, what we're going to be able to help you do is is really understand precisely what your A players are doing, right? Because we can record the calls and parse them and you know apply our our algorithms to them, mm-hmm. and and so the B players can listen to it; they'll know exactly what. A players are doing so they can be just like the A players. Great. But that doesn't work. Right? right. I mean, the A players, I mean, great, you can listen to what they're doing with their calls and you might pick up some some interesting tips. But the fact is, you know, part of the reason the A players is because they're not playing by the rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yep. that's the thing that I find sort of the conundrum that's so interesting in so many sales organizations is that yeah, the the real disciplines are applied. Not the disciplines, the sort of the rigid f- formulas are applied to the B and C players and the, <laughs> right. and the A's, right? And the A's are the yes. ones that, that have earned the right to, to be a little more flexible, a little more free. But then they sort of suppress that in the B's and C's, which is, is really, as you said, that's where that's sort of the next generation of strength that's coming from. And you want to be able to develop your bench. If you think that, because, you know, sales people turn over really quickly, if you think that you're always going to replace your A players by going outside, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a horrible strategy. Right, you, yes. you need to develop, that's not sustainable. You need to be able to develop your B's and C's to be the take the place of the A's when they go. Right, right. And of course, you're only getting a very sn- small snippet of the time slice, right, of a particular A player, right? You're not seeing and uh, uh, everything that they're doing, you know, throughout the entire sales cycle, which is right. the majority of the work, right? Exactly. Um, so uh, I I, to, I totally agree with you. You've got to uh, to be a good manager. You've got to you get really got to be in the trenches, and you've got to coach, and you've got to give people the options to try things and see. You know, well, here's here are what people are doing. Uh, here are some things to try. Let's go see if it works, and let's go see if we can improve this particular part of, you know, of your um, sales experience that maybe needs a little bit of work. Yeah. All right. Let's talk Absolutely. for a second about about um, your company, Whaler. So sure. so what was the impetus to start Whaler? So uh, Whaler, funny enough, you know, again, uh, engineering background. So when I got into sales after uh, banging out code for a while, uh, I don't know, I, I took a very different uh, approach to, I wasn't classically sales trained, so I took a very bit different approach to how I was going to do sales myself and then uh, start to build sales teams. And a lot of, uh, I don't know if, I think probably it was, you know, in the early days, I also worked and we sold enterprise software into game developers. Mm-hmm. So I just got exposed to a lot of, well, I liked video games. I still like video games, and um, uh, into how games were developed. And game development is just fascinating. I've never seen a more extreme industry where you have the extreme of the creative people, like the people that are way out there, right? Uh, and then on the flip side of the fence, you have the hardest core of hardcore engineers, because they're building, you know, every four years on proprietary software. They're building on the hardware, right, on the right. metal. So right. you're talking about assembly programmers, like really, really hardcore uh, engineers. So you, these two totally extremes, and they come together, and they and they build this 
completely complex 3D real time thing, right? That is, and it's fun to play. It's like it's amazing that these games even uh, uh, can come to fruition, and there's a reason so many of them flop because they're so incredibly complicated. But anyway, um, I got exposed into how they would use um, develop uh, player telemetry systems and how they mm-hmm. would use a lot of the okay, well, we see players going here, here. Okay, let's put in this particular, you know, drop point or this particular, the game player, let's tweak this. And I thought, well, man, why, why can't I do that in sales? I'd love to, if I could see what users and what prospects were doing inside my product, like to me, that would give me all the context into why and how I needed to reach out to them because I could say, well, yeah, you're, I see you've used this particular part of the product, but I kind of can, I think I know your use case given that I know you and your company and what you're trying to do. So mm, that gives me a reason to reach out to you and teach you something about uh, maybe the best way to use my particular product. So usage behavior for me, what that prospect was doing inside your product um, was really the most important data point that I found that for me as a salesperson was um, the most effective mm-hmm. right, uh, in, mm-hmm. um, in, in helping me kind of uh, teach. So that concept, we really, I started to just build that into my sales teams and monitoring a lot of uh, in-product usage. Um, and ultimately, you know, I, I implemented that at the, a few sales teams and then uh, quite a few other teams that I work with. And we took that concept and uh, and um, uh, pulled it into a platform called Whaler about uh, just over a year ago that we officially launched it. And really that's our that's our focus. Um, a customer called us Moneyball for sales, so I kind of like that. But, um, <laughs> but really, uh, our customers today primarily are open source. Well, the biggest pain point today is open source, freemium, um, uh, uh, premium, so enterprise, enterprise SaaS products where they usually have the in-product usage readily available. Mm-hmm. And we monitor all that and push that out to pick the particular sales rep and say, hey, this is this is interesting behavior about either this user or more interestingly in groups, or sorry, in the enterprise is groups um, and what the group behavior is. Because you may, you know, if you have three or five or seven users that all of a sudden become very active within a product over a specific period of time, let's say a seven day or, or a 14 day period, that's interesting. And that's really when me as a salesperson, I want to, I want to now engage and, and go teach them something because the timing's right. So, okay. So, um, so you work with, with right. So, so mm-hmm. your product then works with, uh, or companies that use your product are, are companies that SaaS companies have you said a free trial or freemium model of some sort. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's let you know. You talk about generating leads, helping land leads, and so on. Is and you use for phrase convert data to do int- identity intelligence. So, mm-hmm. and so that what's what's that mean in the case of somebody that um, hasn't even got that point of signing up for the <laughs> the free the free trial? So, do you do anything before that, or it all starts at that point? No, it, it all starts once the user uh, has signed up, either uh, and signed into the product. So for us, that's a that's a key starting point. Um, and even in my you know in my own sales uh, sales career, using data pre sign in, right? Like downloading white papers, attending webinars, uh, not typically a very strong signal for me personally as a as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know, okay, once they got on the product, okay, that's that's still starting to get interesting, but I want to see what what they do, right? Because a lot of times, especially in these freemium or open source models, you want you may want customers to just sit there for a while. They're not ready yet. Um, 
you know, the, the biggest challenge in, in sales is just getting the timing right, right? And understanding when they're, um, they're actually at a point where they're open to having the conversation and, and being taught. Sometimes you just can't, you just can't chase the person who just signs up and is starting to use your product just because they may fit some permographic data. Um, mm-hmm. There may, may be a reason to just wait and wait until three months later when all of a sudden user two, three, four, five comes in over a short period of time, maybe that's the right time to, um, uh, to reach out. So, um, those are some of the things, a lot of things that we monitor, uh, and try and service to the sales rep to, to, uh, help them highlight that. And so what, what does the rep receive back from, from Whaler? So it, it, I, you know, it integrates with Salesforce obviously. So mm-hmm. they get that information automatically updating to their, their contact record or something. We do. Yeah. We, we, um, we call it Intel, right? So, we basically monitor uh, all of this, and then when we see something interesting, we push that piece of intel into Salesforce. And usually, it's uh, we can't do it over email or over an API uh, through our API. But um, the goal is to get it in front of the rep in whatever workflow that they're already, you know, uh, is already pre-existing, and tell them, okay, this interesting thing is happening now. Here's why. Context is really important, right? Um, uh, I'm not. A, I've never been a big believer of black boxes and just kind of you know the magical machine learning. That that to me is uh, doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be this. Fi- it has to be a. We spend a lot of time with working directly with the sales reps to understand. Okay, what are things that they think are interesting, and then we'll use that human interaction along with you can and scale it a little bit faster and experiment more by using the machine learning. But certainly there has to be a lot of human intuition um, uh, and hands-on understanding that, uh, that needs to go into, into this and providing that context to the sales rep then, uh, then gives them all the information they need and sort of how they need to reach out, uh, um, how they need to reach out and, and interact with that particular prospect. Well, let's talk about the context. So mm-hmm. what is the context you're setting for them? So, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's using it, but, but is it based on, you know, the history of what past similar people have done and so on? And you're sort of aggregating a, a history or where, how's the context established? Yeah. Uh, so a uh, good example, we have these different Intel types I'd mentioned. Um, so for instance, one, uh, one we call the Trojan horse, right? So the Trojan horse Intel basically will, um, we have some out of the box settings, but uh, we kind of configure it for the team. But for argument's sake, we'd say, okay, whenever we see at least four users from a particular company, mm-hmm. uh, they, they might sign up and use their business domain. They might sign up and use a Gmail. It doesn't matter. We'll be able to uh, identify them and pull them all together. But let's say we see four users that have finally signed up and started using the product. Uh, within a seven-day period, so a short period of time, high activity within a short period of time, um, and it meets uh, all of the firmographic uh, criteria. So typically that means, you know, it's a North American company, employee size greater than 50 employees. Um, and that then we would package up and say, all right, we basically have a, uh, a Trojan horse hiding, you know, a group <laughs> of high-qualified users that now sales rep will you Either uh, if we have a decision maker that's identified in there, we'll highlight that and say, well, you should probably call this VP because they just started to use the product, you know, two days ago. So uh, you're or, with just an email address, you, you're doing some sort of data enrichment. So you're being able to pull out titles. And, you know, as you said, they were using a, a personal email versus business. And you can correlate that back to the business. Mm-hmm, exactly. There's not, okay. there's a lot between email, uh, but most importantly, we kind of flip it. We don't look at the at the uh, at the person first. We monitor for the user behavior first, because again, if somebody signs up and let's say it's you know Mitch at Whaler, I sign up and okay, I'm at Whaler and you know or uh, or ten employees and X you know X uh, uh, firmographic data. 
not necessarily uh, um, rationale to just go out and, and reach out to me, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so what we'll do first is we look for the usage pattern of the behavior first to then highlight, okay, is this an interesting person that's doing something interesting or is this a group that's doing something interesting? And if it is, then we'll go out and say, all right, does this then fit our demographic and firmographic filters? So it's kind of flipped. Mm-hmm. We look for the behavior first and then we go out and say, like, okay, is this say some students in Indonesia uh, or is this actually you know, uh, a good B2B uh, prospect that, uh, that we might have in North America? So. Um, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit different in, in in that method, but the the key is usage pattern first, and then um, as you mentioned, being able to go out and, and pull together all the firmographic um, uh, right. and demographic information. So, are you seeing on your customers that because increasingly I see is that that where it used to be easy to sign up for a free trial, increasingly companies are forcing you to talk to somebody in sales <laughs> before you sign up for a free trial. I mean, you see that as a, a trend, and is that Based on you know data that they're experiencing through their own experience that that uh, you know higher close rates if they have to go through a sales as first step because in some cases quite frankly I find it really off putting and I I won't do the, <laughs> yeah. I won't do the free trial if I have to talk to somebody in sales as opposed to just signing up for it. It is. It's um. I find it. It's mostly a function of the sales leader that comes in. I mean, usually these models start off as these freemium self-servicing models, and at some point they might get to ten or twenty million in revenue, and they say, "Okay, now we need to go hire a sales team, right?" In order to get to the next um uh, next tier, and usually the sales leader comes in and they go, "Well." I can't see I can't see anything that's going on in this this freemium even premium let's call it credit card side of the business. I'm blind, so I'm competing against myself. Shut it off, right? Put up the hard stop top at least at least to, to, um, talk to sales, right? So it's usually that the sales leader just hasn't worked in one in a uh, open source or freemium to mm-hmm. premium credit card and then to the enterprise model. Like there really have been very few successful companies that have done that. Um, and as a sales leader, it's usually just the first reaction. So um, that to me is, and a lot of what we have to do is just uh, is just educate. Because if we can go into a sales leader and say, hey, we can give you visibility or you know, the revenue leader, uh, the sales and marketing side of the fence, and say, hey, we can, like really the freemium and credit card side of the business, that is all legion. Like if you if you can mine that and um, and let it grow and um, and leverage it, then it becomes a huge ad, uh, um, advantage to then the enterprise side. As long as you're surfacing up only you know the small percentage that actually is now enterprise ready. But um, uh, once you start to tell that story and explain how how we can do that, then the sales leader uh, typically understands. Oh, great. Okay, this is actually a. This is an amplifier Absolutely. in addition to this inbound say. machine I have. Because right? like I, I, you're always going to have to do inbound and outbound, right? There's sure. been very few instances where you get the luxury of one. It's always this, you're going to have to have this balance of doing both. But um, the education piece is probably the first one because it's conceptually using the product uh, usage in that way is um, not typically very intuitive to, uh, to people that we come across. So education is a big piece of what we, what we, um, what we have to do. So who's your ideal client profile then? Today it's uh, it's very specific. It's Bay Area. Uh, I, I'm a, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to travel. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. It's more that take advantage of the seventh largest economy in you know in in the, the world, world right? right? So, um, 
course, we, there are always exceptions, but of course, that's primarily... A, that's uh, really uh, California, that's the seventh Yes. Place. But yeah, okay, go ahead. Yes, right? It's, it's split between Northern pretty evenly, but um, I preach this a lot, like, you got to own your own backyard. Even if you're, your startup's in Boise, Idaho, or whatever, like, focus in Boise, Idaho. Focus in your backyard, because you got to be able to get customer FaceTime, um, yep. uh, so, right? And in the learning, too. I, I need, we need to go in, like I said, we work a lot with the reps. We need to, we, we need to, to learn a lot as we're continuing to build this platform. So ideally it's a, it's Bay area and, um, developer focused. So if, if they're dev first, open source models are pretty good. Freemium models, DevOps, any sort of, um, engineering development platforms, that's where the pain's the biggest Mm -hmm. as you really have, um, uh, you know, you want to encourage the proliferation of the, of the, um, freemium piece because you want to get in their toolkit, right? right? Because there is, nothing more phenomenal than you get in somebody's toolkit and sure they might be the student in the philippines today but as soon as they go start that job right as the engineer at company x boom that's you're now in the toolkit and as long as you can see that and you can see that oh they've now logged into the product or signed Mm -hmm, up as a product mm -hmm. but it's the same person previously used their gmail address now they're using their at dropbox email okay not great they heard like this isn't a fresh new lead this is a lead with context right? right Uh, and so that's another, uh, the resurfacing lead is another one, uh, piece of Intel that we service where we say, Hey, this user isn't new. We've seen this user before and sure they were at a different company or they were in a different context and they were, you know, in the freemium tier, but now they're, you know, they're here and it's a different context and maybe this is the right time now for, uh, for the salesperson to reach out based on that. So that's why I love these freemium models. It's you're in the toolkit, huge advantage if, um, if you know how to leverage it. Excellent. Okay. Well, Mitch, thanks for joining me. We have to wrap up here. So tell folks Absolutely. how they can um, contact you and find out more about Whaler, which is W-H-A-L-R, no E. That's right. Not, not the Boston Whaler, the boat. No. Right. We, we try to get that one. But, <laughs> but yeah, you just uh, hit the website or uh, just hit, send me an email, uh, Mitch at Whaler, uh, com, and uh, more than happy to, to help you. Um, Really, the, the, the methodology of uh, another customer references as the product qualified lead, right? Well, really, it's the PQL. And I'm a, just a huge proponent of whatever you do, regardless of whether you use Le- Whaler, you need to start leveraging that in-product usage behavior because it makes the buying experience much more valuable if you're a buyer. And the person reaching out to you is actually has some context in, exactly. in how they can help you, right? So. You absolutely need to be leveraging the PQL model and figure out a way if you're a salesperson or a sales leader, even if you're an individual rep, figure out a way. You might have to go take the product manager out for coffee or you might need to you know, go uh, chum up one of the engineers, but figure out a way that you can get product usage because pretty much every team nowadays through you know different functions have the product usage, usually it's product managers. Right. But figure out a way that you can get some of the product uses. Because if you can get that for even the leads that you're working or your opportunities, you are going to be uh, have a huge advantage um, in, again, the, the value that you can bring to helping that customer along. So um, PQL methodology is by far the, the thing that um, I hope people will um, uh, will really start to embrace because it's um, it's quite powerful. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, good. Mitch, we'll have we'll have you back on again. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Please come back, join me again tomorrow. Got new episodes every day of the week. Uh, I'm sure you find something you enjoy. Until then, if you have a moment, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and subscribe to the show. Leave a review, 
Uh, your feedback's really important to me. So again, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>